0: It's time for JT the Brick. I'm working for Friday. get the blank out of here. The tackles that are coming into this program have now got to, one of them's got to pop like Daryl Russell. One of them's got to pop. Who's it going to be? How long have we have been waiting for a young defensive tackle to come in here since Daryl Russell and go, I got this. Don't take me off the field. I'm a beast. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll. I want an elite superstar, 25-year-old linebacker who's going to play five years in a row. You're going to pay him a new contract, and he's just great. This place hasn't done that well, and now Dave Ziegler probably could do a much better job. At that position, I would believe, because the Patriots had a lot of good linebackers. Play that rant again. I'll get the hell out of here. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT with you as we are brought to you by Virgin Hotels, our new proud partner here on Raider Nation Radio. I'll be doing a lot there. I hang out a lot. That's the old Hard Rock. Now it's rebranded Virgin Hotels. The restaurants are outstanding from one steak to olives. The pool. Have you been to the pool yet? To see what they've done there i love it they have an unbelievable pool experience and then the concerts one concert after another i hang out at the shag room where there's live music it's the place to go virgin hotels proud partner of our show just saw lyle lovin and chris isaacs there last saturday night and i love the theater there because i met my wife there back in the day when it was the hard rock and now it's virgin hotels And it's the place where I like to go at least one day on the weekend. A lot of my friends work there. A lot of my friends are old school bartenders and servers there and always have a great time. I am proud to announce Virgin Hotels as a proud partner of our show. And I'm going to be doing podcasts out there, appearances out there during football season. And we'll let you know. It's easy to get to. And we hope you can come out and see us there at Virgin Hotels. You know where it is. If you haven't been there in a while... Go take a look at the new footprint, see all the great restaurants, the entertainment, and the value that it brings to you right in town, especially if you're a local reconnect with Virgin Hotel. So the breaking news, Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement. I think this is real now. Uh, Last time he did, and Brady came back. And Brady, he stayed in Tampa because of Brady. And they had a chance to go win a Super Bowl. Again, he won a Super Bowl. But he's been banged up. He's one of those guys who's older than his age because of the beating that he's taken. And he's got an opportunity to have a big life, a huge life in media. Everything that he touches from television commercials to party appearances to what he can do, Gronkowski's going to have no problem. And then just being a Hall of Famer in the next five years and signing his name, HOF, to all of that Patriot gear and all of that Tampa Bay gear and all the Pro Bowl gear. He's a hell of a player. Now, where do you rank Gronk all-time at tight end? Talk to Boston fans, they put him at number one. But if you know the history of the game and John Mackey and Mike Ditka and Dave Casper and Tony Gonzalez and some of the all-time greats to play the position, Gronkowski's right there with all of them. He won four Super Bowls. He's only 33 years old. He's played 11 seasons. And that's why the Patriot way has been so successful. Remember Aaron Hernandez was there before his awful Track record and character issues, and the murders and everything that happened there. Gronk was there alongside that two tight end set, and he was amazing when he was double t- covered and the big catches he made for Brady, the massive catches he made in the AFC playoffs, in the AFC championship game, in the Super Bowl. Uh, this wasn't a guy that deteriorated. He won a Super Bowl with Tampa and played really well in that game. Congratulations to Rob Gronkowski on all the success that he's had. Other breaking news today, the lawyer uh, representing all the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson says 20 lawsuits have settled, 20 of 24. So Deshaun Watson has settled, all but four of the lawsuits filed against him. Tony Busby, the attorney, said that in a statement today. Since March 16, 2021, 25 lawsuits have been filed against Watson alleging sexual assault and other inappropriate behavior during massage essence. Of those 25, one was dropped by the plaintiff when the judge ruled her petition had to be amended with her name. The other 20, Busby said, have been settled. So what do you think needs to happen here? This is a classic sports talk radio question. What do you do? What do you do? You're all football fans. You're listening to the Raiders on an NFL flagship. How many games? So I think what, it could be 8 to 12. It could be. I think the right thing to do is a full season. And he's admitting to wrongdoing by settling. I don't care what the language says that he's not, not admitting to guilt or whatever. I don't care what it says. He's admitting to this inappropriate behavior. And the league cannot set a precedence here and say, if you do this, if you have all of these women who say they're sexually assaulted or there was lewd behavior, you can do that and only miss eight games? No. <laughs> Roger Goodell can't do that. Roger Goodell's about to testify in front of Congress coming up here. So this is something that they want off the docket. They want to deal with Daniel Snyder and the John Gruden emails. There's a lot of issues in the NFL this offseason that the league would like to put to bed. And this is a big one here. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is what the league wanted Deshaun Watson to do so he could play. I don't see it happening. I think he's going to be gone for the entire year. And I think he deserves to be gone for the entire year. And if that's the case, that's going to change the balance of power in the AFC North. As I look at the AFC North, we had a guest on earlier, Nestor Aparicio, who covers Baltimore. And from a Baltimore perspective, I think this opens the door for the Ravens to come in and maybe make a run at the division. Because there's no doubt in my mind with a healthy Deshaun Watson available to play, available to play, you were looking at Cleveland winning the division. And I think quite easily if they if they got ahead of the Bengals remember the Bengals went to the super bowl at 10 and 7 Pittsburgh was 9 and 7 Cleveland was 8 and 9 with an injured Baker Mayfield so i think Cleveland with a healthy Deshaun Watson playing all the games could do what Cincinnati did last year 10 and 7 and a lot of people are going to say Cincinnati JT they went to the super bowl they're not loaded Cincinnati is not loaded they got a great wide receiver a great quarterback good offensive line but they don't have great elite players everywhere. A lot of things went right for them. They were 4-2 and two in the division. They were only 5-4 and four at home, 5-3 and three on the road. But the Bengals took advantage of what they needed to do to get it done, and they did. So I give them a lot of credit there. Uh, there's a lot of news in golf. One of the best reporters in all of golf from Golf Channel, Todd Lewis, joins me before every major, or if not, after every major, and he's kind enough to join us today as he's traveling. And, Todd, thanks for the time. Great work, as always. And paint a picture for us. How great of a setting was it to be back there in New England, Boston, at Brookline, again for an Open?
1: Yeah, it was great. And if you're not a golf historian, I'll just quickly educate uh, your listeners. Uh, Francis Rimet was an amateur and won just not too long after the turn of the century in the 1900s. And because of that, exploded the game of golf in the United States Every, everyone started picking the game up so that that course is so meaningful because that's where that happened uh when it won the U.S. Open that golf course was 400 yards shorter than Torrey Pines the site of last year's U.S. Open and it played as tough if not tougher um I thought it was a great great golf course uh, the fans were awesome it was a true test and we had a great champion
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that, and the golf course jumped out at me because there were a lot of short wedge shots that players couldn't hold on the green. There were a couple of duffs, as you know, on a couple of short uh, chip approach shots that the ball came right back to the golfers, and then... You know, to see that 11th hole and the par 3 and that short hole and how difficult it was for some of the great short game players in the world to get it close, I just love the long holes, the blind shots, the short par 3 and all, and especially 17 in the history of Justin Leonard in the Ryder Cup pod.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was was a great mixture of... of Good, strong golf holes. You had uh, a few, well, one par four that you could drive, reach the green on. You had another par four that was 520 yards uphill. <laughs> and you mentioned that short par three, 11. Uh, it was like 130 yards on the average all week. Scotty Sheffley, number one in the world, goes double bogey Saturday, bogey Sunday on that little short par three. So it was a great test of golf.
0: It's, it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Todd Lewis is our guest. All right. It reminded me of a Masters Sunday. As you know, it doesn't happen until the back nine on Sunday. And I'm looking at the U.S. Open and I'm seeing Scotty Scheffler, especially once he took the lead after those three early birdies to start his final round off. I said, if he gets the lead. Todd he's not going to give it back he's the number one player in the world he gives it back Zalatoris gives up the lead and then gets back to the top and then gives it back again and then good old Matt Fitzpatrick quietly just grinding away knocking down birdies and saving pars which really was the difference in him winning
1: yeah it wasn't I mean I see I, I understand your analogy about the back nine uh at Augusta National <laughs> but the difference in at the Masters is usually the back nine. They have guys moving north on the leaderboard, making birdies, uh, mm-hmm. where, <laughs> where the U.S. Open, you know, they were just trying to stay above water uh, and hang on. Uh, but it, but the, the same thing happened. You had a number of lead changes, you know, and you, and you knew coming down to the final two holes that anything could happen, just like at Augusta National. So it made, it made for great theater, theater, a different type of golf, a different style of play, but still quite exciting.
0: Todd Lewis is our guest, Golf Channel. So let's talk about Fitzpatrick and the bunker shot on 18. It reminded me of Sean McKeel at the PGA years ago, a defining shot, an approach shot. Todd, Mm -hmm. we've been talking golf for a long time, well over a decade, and I love the approach shot. I love flag hunting. I like when people go at the pin and don't go for the center of the green, especially with the tournament on the line. Walk me through 18 as Zala Torres hit a bomb and was setting himself up for birdie, and we see Fitzpatrick in a bunker. I thought he was going to bogey that hole the second it went into the bunker. What were you thinking real time?
1: Yeah, I thought he was, too. But at the same time, that was his 18th hole. He had 16 of 17 greens. That, that's yeah. just about unheard of at a U.S. Open, especially on a Sunday. And uh, I, I did another radio show. One of the radio hosts asked me, he said, if you put a three handicap in that bunker and gave him 10 shots, how many times would he hit that green? And I said, if it's today, if it's this morning, Monday, he'd probably hit it twice. But if it's Sunday with 20,000 people around the hole and the U.S. Open on the line, he wouldn't hit it at all. It wouldn't happen. So that was an incredible shot. It was very difficult. He had to hit it over a tongue. He had to get it up in the air. He had to hit, an elevated, hit it to an elevated green. And with all that pressure for him to come through like that, it's one of the great second shots into a 72nd hole of the U.S. Open ever.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm so happy you put it that way. And because of the strength of that golf course and the history dating back to 1913 and the Justin Leonard putt we talked about at the Ryder Cup, I think yeah. that'll live in the histories and the annals of golf because you were there. That golf course is like a walking museum. What's it like in the clubhouse oh, yeah. there compared to other clubhouses you've been to covering golf?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's <clears throat> it reminds me a little bit of Augusta. It's understated uh, you know, but but it's just a it's just a living golf museum. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, all the great moments that you mentioned there, some clubs are still there that were donated by the great winners uh, over the years. But I have to say, actually, the membership there is incredible too. I mean, I know we're talking about a country club here, and people who are listening maybe saying, Oh man, who cares about country club folks?" But this, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the home of American golf. And you know you have to uh, Google it. <laughs> I mean, this is this is where everything shifted in the game in the United States for us. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for Francis, we met, we may not have 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 had a yeah Bobby
0: Jones, a uh, you know Jack Nicholas, uh Tom Watson, an Arnold Palmer, a Tiger Woods. Those those great American players. Todd Lewis is our guest. Todd, I just got back from Europe. I was in London and off to Amsterdam and Liverpool. And when I got to London. It was downtown, and I saw the biggest billboard I've ever seen for Live Golf. I mean, a massive billboard in the heart of London at the train station, and they were putting big money behind it. And, you know, I've been talking golf a long time, and I'm wondering about this, and I was deeply affected on Mm 9-11. I lost a fraternity brother that day. I'm pretty passionate about anti-Saudi money when it comes to sports, but then also hosting a national show. I know the NBA's relationship with China. And I know that there's been a lot of athletes at the Olympic level that have competed in <clears> soccer <throat> all over the world and Iran to other parts of the world. Look, it, it, we just can't look at it as golf. We have to look at it globally. How have you evolved on this topic since you knew this was coming with Live Golf and you were just at a U.S. Open seeing the reaction?
1: Well, it is it is fracturing our sport. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I'm, I'm deeply concerned. I'm concerned about the Sport. And here's why: because we, as fans, no matter what the sport, want to see the best players face off against the best players. Well, that's not happening on the PGA Tour now. Dustin Johnson's playing on this other tour. Other prominent players, play other tour, other p- prominent players will probably, and likely go to this other tour. So, I mean, we've got continental plates that are shifting here. That I'm really. You know, I, I hope that the fan is, is going to say, well, I don't know where the best players are, so I'm just not going to watch them. I'm going to watch something else. That, that's the scary thing for me. The PGA Tour is in a really tough spot right now. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, they can't outspend the Saudis. So they are leaning on legacy, um, which they rightfully should do. Um, I will give you a little bit of news on what's happening. Uh, there is a player meeting uh, at the PGA Tour site this week, which is going to be the Travelers' Championship. Commissioner Monaghan from the PGA Tour is going to be there. He is going to send a very strong message to the members that the PGA Tour is the best tour to play. Then after that, there's going to be a PGA Tour policy board meeting. I'm getting a little bit into the government here, but Mm -hmm. on the agenda is furthering its strong alliance with the DP World Tour or European Tour, investing in that tour, and growing both tours to be somewhat of a global tour. Um, to combat the Saudis. And I'm I'm, I'm feeling that that proposal is going to be approved by the PGA Tour and it's up to the DP World Tour to accept that proposal. And then, you know, we'll see what happens after that. But they're they're doing everything they can uh, to fight this bottomless, this endless fountain of money that is coming at these Mm -hmm. players.
0: Todd Lewis, as we wrap it up, and that's the one thing I wanted to end this conversation on is that if the Saudis and the Saudi government behind here says we can break the PGA Tour, unlike the XFL and the USFL is not going to break the NFL, right? So we've seen this and other rogue leagues starting in other major sports here, but if they just keep saying we got hundreds of millions of dollars to offer golfers just to show up, we don't care who wins, the three-day format, shotgun starts, the flaws, we don't care. Why are the Saudis so bent on trying to bury the PGA Tour, they can have a nice event. There could be two or three nice events, and I think everybody can get along. But to go out and do a tour like this, it really seems like more so than Greg Norman. There are people behind the Saudi government on that side that really want to send a message to one of the great brands in the United States of America and break the sport or fracture it. And I'm just surprised. I can't get a straight answer on why is their motivation so strong with Live Golf? Well, they're,
1: they're doing something that has been labeled as sports-washing. They're using the sport, uh, the sport of golf uh, to kind of distract from the, the things that they have done in the past that have been very well-known uh, mm-hmm. that are against human rights. And you know, they're, just, they're trying to market Saudi Arabia as, as a golf destination. They're, I think they're trying to turn it into a Dubai. If you've ever been over there, golf is a big part of their marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And and they've just chosen golf to do to use that um, platform to try to do it. Um, I, I you know I really they, they, the thing I'm really taken aback um, that that just really kind of I don't understand are these players? I mean these players aren't moving from trailer parks to live golf. They live in mm-hmm. twenty thousand square foot houses. Um, and I guess I guess their motivation is to play for money and not to be a champion. I mean, and that's why you have these great players that are going to be in the Hall of Fame, like, oh, well, Tiger's already there, and John Rahm, and Roy McElroy, Justin Thomas, those guys, I mean, they want to play against the best and win championships. The money is irrelevant to them. Um, I bet you Matt Fitzpatrick doesn't know that he won the biggest PGA Tour check ever given out yeah. yesterday, $3.15 million. He doesn't care. I mean, yeah, I'm going to say he doesn't care. It's not his motivation. He, he, the fact that he is the U.S. Open champion, he goes down in history as one of the great champions of this game, that's the motivation. Going over there, you know, you're kind of playing, at least right now, on a soulless tour. So
0: we'll see how, we'll see how it shakes down. Todd, you know, I think the world of you and your coverage and reporting, I just want to say this as a plug to Golf Channel, I think that Brandel Chambly right now, is in the prime of his career as one of the great analysts in all of sports. I cannot turn off all of your coverage. The postgame, when he is referencing history and talking about players and breaking down a player and putting it back 50 years in historic value to Snead and going up against Hogan and to Tiger, I find it amazing. I know he does his homework, and everyone on your team does, but man, his wheelhouse right now, I don't think there's anybody else doing it at that level.
1: Yeah, I would like to see him uh, in a good presidential debate. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think he would That's want to a good run way. for president. But if I would like to see him in a good debate platform, I think he—I would take him. I would make him uh, the favorite. I don't care who he squares off against. But yeah, he does. We, we're very proud of what we do. JT, thank you very much. It's—it's it's, it's a labor of love that we really, really enjoy. We—we we, like the players. Feel like we get measured at major championships as well. So we make sure our focus is—is top notch that week.
0: Yeah, and it it makes me look good when we can get you on before or during or after a major. Thanks a lot again, Todd. I'll talk to you at the next one. Thank you very much. Always great to be with you. Thank you. My pleasure, Todd Lewis, to get him on, big deal, as he is the reporter for Golf Channel and does an amazing job. Just like my next guest, who's kind enough to move up for us as we're buried today, Russell Baxter, the great NFL researcher, the great NFL historian, and one of the best follows out there. I love what he does, and we're counting down to Canton. Russell, where's your mind at? I look at your calendar every day when we count down with player numbers. Canton right around the corner before the start of the preseason.
2: Yeah, that's right. 44 days until the Hall of Fame game, um, which is uh, obviously the Raiders and the Jaguars. 44 has its share of Hall of Famers, as you know. John Riggins, Leroy Kelly, Floyd Little, Bobby Dillon. And then, of course, we're 79 days away from the start of the regular season, which, is of course, is the Bills and the Rams. And a couple old-school guys for you, JT. Roosevelt Brown and Bob St.
0: Clair. Wow. Bob St. Clair. I had the pleasure to meet several times. What a gentleman he was. That was one of the all-time greats. Hey, Russell, what, what do you think of the breaking news on Deshaun Watson? 20 of 24 settlements there. I think that's enough evidence that he's admitting wrongdoing, even if he's not going to be charged criminally for Roger Goodell to suspend him for a year. Do you think it's a full year or maybe 8 to 10, 12 games? Oh, I, w- I wish I could put my finger on this. We've waited so long and then this is not, you know this.
2: It's not unusual for the NFL to kind of I don't know if the word drag your feet is in it, but it takes them so long with some of these cases. I mean, you, you'll remember the, the Flate Gate, you know, mm-hmm. whether right or wrong and so on. I mean that that happened in January and Brady wasn't suspended until May. Um so yeah, I mean, and listen, we, as you've already kind of alluded to, we have seen players suspended and not criminally convicted. Ben Roethlisberger, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, come to mind and so on. So, uh, as far as the length of this, I mean, it's so hard to tell because, I mean, think about it, JT. We've really never seen anything like this, you know, uh, you know, and, and we've seen a lot of wild things in the league in the last 10 years dog fighting, bullying. Spousal abuse, child abuse, take, take your pick. And so I, I, I've always insisted that that's not what Roger Goodell signed up for when he wanted to clean up the league, as far as, uh, you know, it's image and, uh, you know, the different things that were going and so on. I think it was, uh, my guess he was kind of thinking PEDs and mm-hmm. DUIs. And then now it's just been you know, like one thing after another, but, uh, and and hopefully we hear something soon for all parties involved here of, you know, what the Browns, although the Browns have, listen, have done their due diligence as far as the quarterback position. I'm, you know, we get into a whole debate about, uh, you know, this move that they made here and how much they gave up and how much they signed him for it. But they do have Jacoby Brissett. Uh Baker Mayfield is technically still with the team. Uh, Josh Dobbs is another co- quarterback they have there. Um, but hopefully, we find something out soon here because, uh, like I said, we're getting, we are getting closer to the season. We're getting very, very close to training camps opening.
0: Russell Baxter at BAX, BAX football guru, the NFL writer and historian. You make good points. Adrian Peterson disciplining his son with the switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw what happened with Ray Rice in the elevator with his then fiancé. Henry Ruggs, you know, close here in Vegas, killing Tina Tintor in mm-hmm. that car accident. You look at some of the worst moments that Roger Goodell has to deal with. This is not his fault. He wakes up every day. He doesn't do anything wrong, but he was the ultimate jury when it came to this, not the case anymore. And the fact right. that this is co- this congressional committee, he's going to sit down in front of them and Daniel Snyder will not. He says he has a scheduling conflict. That amazes me. What could there be as a scheduling conflict that he can't get out of? So let's elaborate on what Roger Goodell is still dealing with, with this off season. As we know, he's preparing to sit down in front of a congressional committee. Yeah, it's, it,
2: it's, it seems that one thing after another. And, uh, you know, you, you just mentioned some of the stuff that happened just this off season alone. I mean, going back to Michael Vick and Richie Incognito and all the different things that have happened under his watch and so on. You're right. It's not his fault. OK, you just, you know, Greg Hardy and, and just one thing mm-hmm. after another, another, another. Um, it, it, it's a, just mind-blowing because the league continues to thrive despite some of this stuff. And that's because we know it's not the vast majority of players that get themselves involved in this thing. But this, this thing now with Daniel Snyder, um, you know, where does his future lie with the team? Um, it, can anything be done? I mean, you've obviously heard the cat calls about, you know, him having to step down and so on uh we'll see. i mean it's been you know it's safe to say it's been a tumultuous four years three or four years with that franchise from even in fact of a name change um but even before that when the when allegations came out and now this latest thing and so on um you know it, it, it's hard to believe almost uh how much of a mess that that organization is and if you don't think that stuff even though it doesn't really touch the field, has something to do with the team's poor play and the way things go. And and listen, hats off to Ron Rivera, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um, who I think is a quality man and has done a good job wherever he's been and so on. But uh, that kind of organization uh, and those different things that have happened over the past few years, that bleeds down to the field, whether you believe it or not.
0: Russell Baxter, as we wrap it up. Russell, I'll see you in Canton, but before that, do you have one or two teams in the NFL that you're high on, non-playoff teams or a team maybe that didn't win a playoff game that you think could go on a run? Because last year it was Cincinnati. They were a four-win team the year before that. The year before that, they were a two-win team. They stabilized the franchise and had a chance to win the Super Bowl. Give me a team or two that you think is really on the rise that you have your eye on. Well, I'm I'm in the midst of doing some pieces,
2: ranking the uh, how the offseason went for the division winners and how the offseason went for the eight last-place teams. And one team that really intrigues me is the Baltimore Ravens, mm-hmm. who have kind of dealt away some of their wide receivers or released them. Uh, Miles Boykin was uh, was let go. They traded Marquise Brown to Arizona. Boy, they had one hell of a draft. Um, and in free agency, they haven't signed a lot of players, You know, But they had the worst pass defense in the league last year. Uh, At one time, you'll remember this, JT, they were the number one seed in the AFC. Of course, that goes back to my least favorite thing, if the season ended today. Well, six straight losses to close the season, the Ravens finished last. So the Ravens, to me, bear watching. I think the Lions bear watching, too. I'm not saying they're Mm -hmm. going to necessarily make a move up in the division with Green Bay, um, but Dan Campbell had them playing pretty feisty football. Um, they added in the draft. They didn't do anything spectacular in free agency. You know, remember a couple of years ago, they signed Trey Flowers and broke the bank for him. He's no longer with the team. So to me, the Lions and the Ravens kind of, they're watching. Keep something in mind. You mentioned the Bengals, J.T. Three teams that finished in last place in 2020, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and San Francisco, all made the playoffs in 2021.
0: Nice. That's a way to look at it, and that's why I hope spring's eternal. All teams getting high draft picks and having money and free agency all believe they have a great chance. Russell, my friend, I look forward to seeing you in Canton. I'm going to be there, for I think, from Wednesday through Sunday. So I hope we have multiple times to catch a beverage and catch up.
2: That sounds like my schedule, too. I'll be arriving sometime Wednesday night. Uh, be at the game, we will definitely find each other.
0: There you go. Appreciate it. There he is, everybody. Russell Baxter, Bax Football Guru. He's incredible. His content every day. He takes the day, 79 games out. He gives you a whole bunch of former number 79 players and gives you stats on them. And if you wake up Raider Nation every day, if you follow him, every couple of days, there's some great insight on the Raiders. He's really good. Chris Berman's NFL researcher for years with Tom Jackson. The guy knows what he's doing. Tony Grossi is going to join us on Deshaun Watson out of Cleveland, the breaking news today, which is a massive story.
3: I've been honest and I've been truthful about my stance, Um, and that's, you know, I never forced anyone, I never assaulted anyone. So um, that's what, you know, I've, I've been saying it from the beginning, and I'm going to continue to do that and, and until all the facts come out on the legal side. I have to continue to just, you know, go with the process with my legal team and, and um, you know, the court of law.
0: It's Sean Watson who's saying everything correctly, but now the settlement in 20 of 24 of the civil cases It's a pleasure to welcome in Tony Grossi, ESPN Cleveland, on this topic, which is breaking the internet today. It's huge for the NFL and the AFC going forward. Tony, let's get the reaction first from you and your followers and listeners and everyone out of Cleveland. Are you surprised by the settlement? Did you think he would wait and wait for a decision from the NFL without the settlements?
3: Well, the only surprise was that it seemed to come out of nowhere where there was no talk of settlement, there was all doom and gloom of indefinite suspension, or, or, or more than that even. Uh, I thought all along, though, but settlement was the only recourse to, to resolve the situation. It, there was no way you could go through 24 civil trials at approximately four to six weeks per trial. Uh, it, it, it just would detail all the accusations and relive all the gory details. Um, in fact, I thought the Browns should have much like Stephen Ross of the Dolphins should have
0: demanded
3: uh, before signing him that he would agree to settle. And perhaps that happened, and it was just a matter of time for this to happen.
0: Very good point by you. You're covering the story right there. And to know that, you would have thought that this would have got settled earlier do you think that rusty Harden has failed him considering how great of an attorney and his track record out of houston rusty Harden's had in front of congress roger clemens all the high profile names and now we're sitting here and you and i probably said the same thing six or eight months ago if you're going to settle settle and do it much earlier yeah well
3: i i, I think rusty Harden was successful in in having criminal charges uh, Mm -hmm. not brought up, right? He's a criminal defense attorney. That's his arena. And however that process worked in the grand juries, he was successful. The civil suits are a matter of money, right? Even if they were tried and the plaintiffs won, what do they win? Money. So uh, a settlement was always going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I I think what happened to expedite it was that the the pressure, the national attention, uh, the mounting pressure, uh, Tony Busby, the plaintiff's attorney, see he, that was his arena, the court of public opinion. He was very skillful in that arena. Uh, the other attorney, Rusty uh, Harden, is skillful in the court itself. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think Busby really wanted to get uh, face-to-face with Harden in, in a court of law because uh, that's where Harden probably has the edge. So they came to a mutual decision to settle. And if the plaintiffs are happy with the settlement, why should anyone say it was the wrong thing to do?
0: Tony Grossi is our guest. It's, it's a fascinating conversation. So what does your gut tell you? Because a lot of people are going to uh, want you to guess right on the length of the mm-hmm. suspension here. I tweeted out earlier today a year because I don't think the mm-hmm. league could set a precedence like this and say, if this many cases were settled, then we're going to sit here and give six to eight games here. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a year. What does your guess say?
3: Well, I think a year would, would be shocking to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a surprise to me. I, I kind of believe that a settlement would uh, lower the suspension. Um, okay. Because I, I don't think the NFL wanted... I mean, one of these details that go on and on, and I always thought that a suspension might be tied to settlement of the case. Um, meaning, if they suspended them indefinitely, which doesn't mean infinitely, it means just no definite timetable. One one of the conditions would be settle all the cases, and, and you make might be reinstated. So I think. It since he he is settled and they, and he has to take care of the other four, mind you, and I think I think they will eventually, but I kind of think it's closer to eight games than the full year.
0: Tony, as we wrap it up, so eight games closer than to the full year. What do you think is going to be the reaction of the female fans in Cleveland and the female fans in the NFL that is a large number? We're not talking 10%, 20%. We're talking up to, I've heard, Mm -hmm. 38%, 45%. And there's a lot of women are going to see this on Good Morning America, the evening news, cable news, and say he's settled, that he is admitting to some uh, form of wrongdoing, and we're done. We're done Mm -hmm. with the Browns, and we're done with that franchise. I think
3: there'll be a portion of the fan base both male and female, who take that attitude. I also think that there are, there's a, a significant portion of female fans, fans, fanatics, Browns fanatics, who just want to see him on the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until we may never know the true facts, you know, uh, or, or the amount of settlement, uh, but I think everyone's got to be at peace with whatever they feel. Uh, and, and I don't know if this makes him look worse or better because it's clear, clearly a, a quicker path to being on the field than uh, trying these cases over the course of you know two years. So I, I think it's going to be a mixed bag, really, of both female and male fans.
0: Thank you, Tony. Really appreciate your time on such a busy day, night, on this topic. Thank you.
3: Thanks for having me. Take care, man.
0: Tony Grossi, ESPN, Cleveland. Again, we had Mary Kay Cabin on yesterday. We have Tony Grossi on. So we're having the two biggest names in Cleveland covering this story. And that's my job. Let's get to the story from the people that are following it closely. Tony made a very interesting point. His point is he believes that the suspension is tied to the settlement. I haven't heard anybody frame it that way. It's a very good point. Maybe Roger Goodell in the league, because you know they talk, got to Jimmy Hasland, got to Rusty Harden and Deshaun Watson and said, look, you've got to settle because we're not going to be able to take this to court. You're not going to be able to fight this in court for another year. And we're not going to put up with this for another year. We're not going to let you play. So you have to settle. I am led to believe that he was forced to settle because I think Deshaun Watson wanted to clear his name. He often talks about his mom, his grandmother. Uh, the relationships he has. He's a franchise quarterback, the highest paid quarterback of all time. The rest of his life, he could be 80 years old, and someone's going to sit across the restaurant from him and say, He abused women. This guy settled with women. He settled and didn't clear his name. He's going to have to live with that his entire life, and he knows that. So that's why I didn't think he wanted to settle. I, th- I thought he'd want to fight to clear his name, but he's run out of options. Because he's a football player, and he's got to play football to earn a living. And the only way to do that is to get back on a football field. Now the suspension process is sooner than later. We'll see it. I'll stick by my opinion that it'll be a full season. A full season, because if it's not a full season, there's going to be a lot of fans who are very critical of Roger Goodell, and Roger Goodell doesn't want that. If it's a full season, who's going to be pissed off at Roger Goodell? Just the Browns fans. won't be anybody else. Everybody else will say, look at Goodell. He's coming down hard, and he's not making that decision on his own. Now, due to the collective bargaining agreement, there's other voices in regards to that decision process. But this is huge. This is breaking. This is huge. And I think it's going to be a year. Your opinion matters on this topic because you're a football fan, and this is the shield. This is another player who's a part of this fraternity of football players and women now who are coaches who are also involved with their sorority coming in, and it looks bad. It looks bad overseas. It looks bad in this country, in North America. People are saying, what the hell is going on with these football players? How the hell is a football player getting 60 massages and 24-plus women are saying that they were sexually assaulted or there was lewd behavior? How many other guys are doing this? I don't think any or many, but it's Deshaun Watson, and he did not clear his name. He settled. 702-365-9200. The show is wrapping up. Again, you don't have to be a Raider fan to comment on these topics. I can't make that more clear. You don't have to be a Raider fan getting a Raider topic to comment on a bigger topic than anything going on with the Raiders today. This is much bigger than any topic in the Raider Nation. And you're a Raider fan. you got to have an opinion on this. You just went through Henry Ruggs which was a massive topic in every other city in America, on top of Oakland and Las Vegas. Mitch in Jersey. Thanks for waiting, Mitch. Go ahead. Hey, J.C. How you doing? good, good Mitch. weekend. Thank you. Um, I think uh, Dallas
3: going to have uh, a great season. Mm-hmm. Adams is going to be a uh, tremendous help. I think our running games will be great. They're good, especially White and Jacobs. And uh, the Browns, I don't know why we're going have all those assets, all that money. Mm-hmm. He, this guy, he's done worse than Trevor Trevor Bauer from the Dodgers. So he's um, mm-hmm. I, I, he's done some bad. He's, he's a ming game. It's just a, a cover-up.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the call, Mitch. I don't know who did it worse, Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer's trying to fight to clear his name. He's not settling. He believes he's completely innocent, and baseball's come down hard on him and the Dodgers, and they're not giving him a path to come back in and pitch again. He's one of the best players in baseball. Best pitchers, and he's been parked. Major League Baseball says we don't want to deal with any of this. And this guy's going to miss two seasons, and I'm saying Deshaun Watson could miss one. If you're joining us late today, we put out early in the show, tell me who is in store for their biggest offensive season yet under Josh McDaniels. And we got over 100 votes on this. Hunter Renfro at 30%, Devontae Adams at 27%, Josh Jacobs at 10%, and leading the vote, Darren Waller at 33%. Who could have their biggest season under Josh McDaniels? Well, my opinion is Hunter Renfro. Because I think Hunter and the, the style of the defense that Josh and the play calling has the ball come out quickly in the slot. We saw that with Edelman, Wes Welker. You know, they had great players there. Amendola. They all caught a lot of balls. Because Brady broke the huddle. He looked over the defense. He said, boom. Changed the play at the line of scrimmage right to the guy in the slot. For a quick six to eight yards, I think Renfro could be as good as any of those guys. Really could. Waller could have a big year, too, depending on how much Foster Moreau gets touches. And Devontae Adams, I don't know. Devontae's great. If Derek Carr going to force-feed him, I hope he does. I like when Derek Carr force-feeds Waller and hopefully Devontae Adams. Goes to him on purpose more times than not. And Josh Jacobs, if he has fresh legs. I think that Josh Jacobs is going to run him hard, and these running backs are going to be fresh. That's the really cool thing about this going forward, everybody, is that the running backs, there's so much depth there that he can rotate fresh running backs in with fresh legs. I mean, really fresh legs who can pick up four to five yards a carry and move the chain so Derek doesn't have to make a play on third down. I like Derek putting the ball in the air, short plays on third down, you know, a quick little comeback to Devontae Adams, a little slant to Hunter Renthrow, a quick fade to Waller in one-on-one coverage. I hope and pray that Darren Waller is lined up on the far sideline like a wide receiver. That was one of the things Gruden wanted to do. I saw it in practice, and Waller last year was banged up. I want to see Waller in motion. I want to see Waller lined up in the slot. I want to see Darren Waller be more versatile. I know it's something the former staff wanted to do more of with him, and then he got hurt. And Darren Waller was on the Dan Patrick show. You'll be hearing a lot of that sound throughout our channel today. 702 365 9200. Man, I need to dive in the pool and kind of reset after this show. How many people have we talked to? Russell Baxter. Tony Grossi joined us. Todd Lewis from Golf Channel. Nestor Apparicio from the Ravens side of the Cleveland issue. Wide open the rest of the way till Q comes up at the top of the hour. We are brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit of Modelo. My Cerveza on Raider Nation Radio. Let the celebration begin with four titles in the last eight years. The run is not done. The Golden State Warriors, once again, are NBA champions in 2022. As Bob Fitzgerald on the call. Our buddy Tim Roy was out due to COVID, unfortunately for him, on the final call. On the Warriors radio network, the Warriors win their fourth title. In eight years, and they are a dynasty. They're a great team, and they're going to roll it back because Joe Lacob, the owner of that team, is going to continue to give them an opportunity to win. Why wouldn't he? He promised Clay, He promised Steph. Draymond's not going anywhere. Players are getting old, and they have great bench players, and they're going to have an opportunity to bring in more players. The Warriors looked stacked. I didn't think they were the best team. They weren't. In the West all year, it was Phoenix, and Phoenix choked at the end, and the Warriors took advantage of that. They had an easier draw. But then they won in Boston, and they won against a very good Celtic team. And they'll be remembered for that. They halted Boston from surpassing the Lakers for overall championships, which is another big storyline there for Steph Curry. Where you win matters. You know, Michael Jordan won in Seattle. He won in Utah. You know, Some of the teams he beat, beat Utah a few times. Carmelo and Stockton were good players, but Greg Ostertag was the center. I mean, we're not talking about the elite teams of all time, the Utah Jazz. The Warriors beat a very good Celtic team with several good players, the Defensive Player of the Year, Tatum. Yeah, you know, those are good players on that team. That's a good ball club, Jalen Brown, and I think that's going to add to the legacy of Steph Curry. That's the way I see it. Allen in Vegas on the Warriors coming back. How are you, Allen? Hey, J.P. Well, to your
1: point,
3: great owners, great coaches, and great players win championships, just like Al Davis said. And real quick on Deshaun Watson, it's not it's not one or two. It's 20 women that he settled with, which is so disappointing because he came out in the media numerous times saying how he wanted to clear his name. And it's just sad to see that he just, he just caved in for one reason or another. But on that note, is Baker Mayfield that bad of a guy that the Browns cannot just he threw a word to say, you know what, Baker? We'll pay
0: you. Come back one more season. No, he doesn't want... Baker's too proud to do that. They dumped Baker. They dumped him. And appreciate the call. that Baker's not going to come back. He's too proud. And Baker, it, it might be a blessing in disguise to get away from the owner, Jimmy Haslam. Uh, Baker's got to see that big picture and get away from him. Thanks to all of our partners, including Resorts World. Eight Cigar Lounge is the place where I go to have a cigar and a beverage. And it's a great property. Free parking in the Doghouse Saloon, home of our Monday night football party. Cues on deck. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. All of our guests. Man, this show came flying together. And we'll be back to do it again tomorrow. If you miss any portion of the show, you can podcast it at LV Sports Network. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the flagship of the silver and black.